Four. Four. All right, Chris, you rolled a four. The question or the topic we'll be discussing today is, what campaign are you chickening out of running right now? (laughs) Okay. I'm not scared. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about topics related to running role-playing games. I'm Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rao. And uh, yeah, so the topic that we just rolled, I think this should be really good. Um, yeah, it is. Who who added this one? This feels like a uh, this feels like a Kyle. Yes, it does. <laughs> uh, question to about. I'm pretty sure it was Kyle Latino who has been on the show a number of times. Yeah, and continually um, needles us from from beyond the show. <laughs> I guess. So hey, before we jump into the topic, we haven't checked in lately to just hear what our gaming. What kind of gaming is going on in our oh, life? Yeah. So I thought I'd just pause and ask: Are you running anything? Or are you playing anything right now? Um, I've started reading Candlekeep Mysteries with an eye towards running some of that. Um, hey, and then great. another thing that I started doing was I, I don't listen to a lot of actual play podcasts, but I just picked up um, Friends of the Table. Just started a new new story arc. They're excellent storytellers, just in general, and they they tend to I think they start all their seasons with doing like a shared world building exercise. Oh, um, but it has it has my brain just like going off on all sorts of tangents because it's just it's it's so cool what they do. They sit down and they, they play a game like they play the Quiet Year one time oh, yeah. to to make their world. And this time they're doing another game I can't remember the name of, but it, it sounds really cool. And then they're going to use um, the heart system to actually oh, play cool. play the game after that. But yeah, it's great. So I, I'm, I'm ideas are starting to percolate a little bit for what I want to run. Um, and I just got vaccinated and I got my first first shot of the vaccine. So. Hey, congrats. Play in person soon. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it is starting to feel like uh, it's safe to start planning like those face-to-face games again. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but what are you, what about you? What have you been Yeah, well, uh I still uh, still running the Band of Blades campaign, mm-hmm. although I uh we made it like 3 or 4 sessions in before the first big scheduling uh, <laughs> fiasco happened and it, it was totally my fault. I postponed, I like canceled a session because the week started out and I could see that it was going to be a rough week. So I was like, guys, can't can't do our Thursday night game. So that was two weeks ago. We've been working like since then to try and reschedule. But uh, it's just a reminder that like when it, when you can keep to a set schedule, it's a real blessing because if you step off of that path, uh, mm-hmm. it's it's just really hard to get busy adults. Yeah, you almost just, just, rather than trying to reschedule, just cancel and <laughs> try it, to get the it, next time. It, it has crossed my mind. I think we'll be able to get our game in uh, later this week, so I think we're all good. But it did cross my mind. I was like, yeah, any if if, if it takes any longer, we, it, we'll just, you know, reconvene next month. But uh, Yeah, is, so Band of Blades, I mean, you're into it a little bit. I mean, do you, do you like the system more now that you're actually getting to play it? You know, any surprises? Yeah, uh, so I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because... Mm-hmm. So, I I'll be totally honest. I'm really struggling with the system. Uh, there's a few things I'm not doing that I probably that probably would help if I would do them. For one, we're playing pretty infrequently, mm-hmm. so there's like a pretty big gap of time between when I'm really immersed in the rules and we're rolling the dice and stuff. And I feel like I'm not playing quite frequently enough for all the systems to just like get baked into my brain. Mm. Um, but I. I'm not going to say it's like a bad system because I think it's really clever and it does a lot of cool stuff that other games don't do. 
I struggle with the die mechanic. Hmm. I, I just struggle with so much stuff all being piled onto one roll of the die. And I love what comes out of that die roll. I love like all, all of the nuance that can come out of that die roll. You get success and failure and complications and and uh, plot twists and everything. But uh, it's, just, it's just something I, I've just been wondering if my brain is not just quite wired uh, hmm. to work with it. I'm just so used to the D&D, the way D&D approaches like rolling dice and resolving actions that... Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Um, ask me again in, you know, a couple of sessions down the road and see if it's grown on me. Hmm. So you've run, you know, as much or more Blades in the Dark as I've run. And it uses a similar system. Did did you wrestle with the rules or did they just feel great to you? Oh, no, I wrestled with them. I think there's something about it that feels a little counterintuitive. I think because there's there's so much, so many decisions, like you were saying, that go into deciding on, like, the setup for the role, even. Right, it's not just like a, oh, like, I want to investigate the room. Make an investigation check. You know, it's not that. It's like, okay, what's going on? You know, like, what tiers the room? All, all those sorts of yeah. things start to come into play. So, I mean, I had a flow chart, and even after running it for, what, eight or nine sessions, I was still referencing that flow chart for every single role. Um, partly because, you know, every single role can can matter so much in, in terms of narrative. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it never quite clicked, and I think it would if, like you were saying, if it was the sort of game that you just sort of played a lot or played more frequently, frequently than once a month. Yeah, I've I've found myself so things got a little bit better in the last session because I had decided in, I was getting stressed about the rules system, oh, honestly. Okay. So I decided in advance I was like, you know, at this time I'm going to make a point of not stressing about this. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna I'm gonna let myself wing it a little bit more with the dice rolls. So that worked, but it also is that thing where like I don't like that I'm you know disengaging from the rules you know i'm i'm glad that i'm finding a something i'm more comfortable with but i i, I feel like i'm missing something so I, I don't know the next session you know we'll give it another uh, another crack and we'll see how it goes I, i'm definitely definitely i definitely plan to stick with it because um, i think that there's a lot that's rewarding mm-hmm. in the system but um there's something buried in the blades in the dark books somewhere i think that just as like if it's getting too complicated just default to risky standard as yeah. your, your normal role. And for those yeah. that haven't played Blades in the Dark, that's just sort of the, take it, you know, you're just going to roll dice. You don't really have to do any kind of modifications about what's happening. Happening, you can just do that. And, like, you can play the game pretty much just rolling continually risky standard sorts of rolls. Um, you know, just like a simple difficulty <laughs> difficulty yeah. class, if you will. You know, so it's a success or failure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's fun if you can take that moment to to adjust it based on what the players have been doing or, you know, how they've, how they've been um approaching the situation but yeah it's it can quickly get bogged down into like you're for a game that's sort of like narratively focused you then you end up with these like addition problems where you're like okay we get one die for this but i could take away another die for that and then, mm-hmm. you know get two more for this other thing and like do you want a devil's bargain and stuff and it's it's very cool how it all fits together but it also can feel like it slows it way down yeah it's uh it's a lot I mean, fortunately, I'm blessed with really good players who mm-hmm. easily pick up the slack when yeah. I'm. Uh, but it has made me think just in a more zooming out from just Band of Blades and Blades in the Dark. It's made me think just more generally uh, about you know how I use die rolls. What's the purpose of a die roll in a game? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, I am used to dice rolling all the time. You know, just it's just like the 
the grease that keeps the wheels of the game moving. Like someone's always rolling a check for something. Mm-hmm. Whereas uh, I've played a couple, run a couple of games in a row, Alien and Albanded Blades, that take the opposite approach, which is like don't roll those dice unless it's really important. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I had not really thought about how much I use just like little, like kind of not important dice rolls just to to keep the game going, to kind of continually give me a little bit of time as GM to stay one step ahead of the players and to um, to nudge the direction of the game in smaller, more frequent ways rather than in like the more more uncommon but dramatic ways that like a band of the blade a band of blades asks does that make sense yeah it does as you're as you're talking i'm thinking about how if you are just playing pretend with your friends um things can quickly get a little vague you know if you're just coming up with ideas you know because mm-hmm. you're bouncing things off of each other and it's harder to take concrete stands on stuff if you're just brainstorming but dice rolls force you into sort of making some decisions, like harder decisions. And yeah, so I think like that, that frequency of dice rolls can really change how a game feels. Yeah. Because yeah. you could certainly play D&D in a style that you don't roll dice that much. You know, like you can have entire role-playing sessions and maybe no, like you never roll a D20 and like that can be okay, but a different group can play that same situation and, you know, put a bunch of dice rolls in there yep. you know, for different different checks and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it kind of just comes down to style and how you're feeling that night, too. There's no no real right or wrong way to do it unless people are feeling frustrated about, like, the lack of decisions. Yeah, and you'd think after, like, however many 30-something years of running games, I would I would have this internalized. But <laughs> it, it, truly, it really is true if your players are having fun, like, you're a great gym, or, or it's going well. You know, the purpose of the game is not to, like, prove that you can all master the system. Mm-hmm. It's to have a great experience exploring a story. And if if you can do that and by ignoring most of the rules, then, like, that's that's great, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. anyway, that said, you know, I've got this 500-page pa- uh, Band of Blades rulebook. I do want to, uh, you know, it, it deserves to have us, you know, try to dig into its mechanics. So. <laughs> yeah. Do you find, are there any chapters or systems in that that you're just totally ignoring? Or are you trying to hit on everything? Uh, so I started out trying to hit on everything and it's too much. I don't, I, I was finding that as I would learn new systems, the old ones would like slip out of my mind. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so mostly my focus has just been simplifying everything just a little bit. So I am trying to include all the elements, but I am, we are not taking like forever. We're not going through the 30 point checklist on die rolls anymore. You know, uh, I don't know. We're just trying to keep it a little simpler at every step of the game. So, yeah, it's like, I, I sometimes wish that there were more artifacts that came with, with role-playing games that re, like beyond just rule books. Um, and I'm not talking about terrain. I'm talking about like, like board game style stuff hmm. right because like band of the blades like has an amazing map and i know that you've printed that off yep. you know are you still using that map that you printed <laughs> i'm i for my own enjoyment yeah but because <laughs> okay. we're all so so listeners i went to like the store and i got this giant like four foot by six foot poster map printout of the band of blades map and it's amazing but what you we need to do with that is like unfurl it on the table in front of your players and then you all hunch over it and mark it up. 
but we're playing online, so it's just sitting in a tube, you know, next to my desk, and I unroll it and look at it every now and then. But yeah, that's go, about it. oh wow, this would be great if it was in front of. That's you. right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, but yeah, so I mean, like, yeah, like having a map uh, a map laid out or even just like, uh, like I know at least in Blades in the Dark, right, there's like the, um, your headquarters and it has this, this sort of like this graph thing that you can follow as you, mm. you like take over turf and stuff, um, yep. you know, so it's just written up in the book and like, it's the sort of thing that'd be great to have on a nice, like stiff piece of cardboard that you're filling in. Yeah. somehow um like some of those visual aids i mean we've talked a lot about i think yeah visual aids and, and what you do with props and stuff but i think sometimes for me at least having some of like a, a physical thing that's staring at me that's like here's a mechanic that you're forgetting about would be <laughs> very nice to have now and then um yeah i mean it's like the classic thing with like a gm screen right and you have you have all those like quick quick lists of stuff on there right just to remind yourself of of the things that you're forgetting we should we should actually dive into a topic, and I think this probably actually dovetails pretty well into it, right? Like, so this is you know, what campaign are you chickening out of running? And I think for me, whenever I think about like campaigns that I just see like, oh, that's too complicated, or I can't do it, it's it often comes back to just this like this mistrust of myself to be able to pull it off. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't. I will probably have some specifics in a couple minutes as I'm thinking about it, but do you have a campaign that you're thinking about that you're like, this is the one, this is the white whale? Yeah, I, I do. So what if we thought about this topic from two different angles? Okay. And one is what, what kinds of games are you afraid of running mm-hmm. in a, in a general sense? Like, is there a type of game? Is there a type of mechanic, a type of setting that, um, that you're chickening out of running despite being intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. And then maybe we could talk about those really hyper-specific campaigns that we're chickening out of running. So I have a couple, I have a couple of specific campaigns that I think about a lot that I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to run. And they're, uh, so, uh, I would love to, so I'm just going to jump in. Yeah, go for it. If you don't mind. Yeah, I would love to run... So I'm really intrigued by the idea of generational games. Games that um, take place uh, over a stretch of time that's longer than just like one character's adventuring career, basically. So different generations. So your children and your their grandchildren. And I would love to run a generational game. I'm intrigued by that idea, and I'm less set on like the specific game or setting I'd want to run it in. But... Like, I would enjoy running a game where you are some sort of, like, an immortal or long-living creature or being, and you are living through human history. So uh, So the game would be, and you are pursuing some sort of plan across the centuries. So the game would follow you and, like, your children or your your um you know your successors how whatever the system is like i've thought like you could run something like this in vampire where you have descent you have vampire kind of descendants you could run it in a game like ars magica where you're a wizard and maybe a long-lived wizard and you have apprentices and um that pick up where you left off and i would love to run a game where uh you know as a group you dip into interesting parts of human history and just over a really big span of time and just see how that plays out i would love to do that but the thought of doing that is really intimidating to me uh first of all it would just take a tremendous commitment 
by everybody. You know that it, this is a campaign that would be really unsatisfying if it if it flamed out like partway through, right? Yeah, because the the point is to do a ton of it. <laughs> exactly. Whole, yeah. And then there's the other thing. I mean, one of the one of the things that would be so fun about it is touring different locations and time periods, but the holy cow is that a lot of work and GM prep to, you know, depending on how crazy you want to go with what are the time periods, you know, but you could find yourself having to do a lot of reading on, on time periods, assuming you're not some sort of historical genius who knows all of this. Yeah. Would you, would the intent be to have it be accurate to history or would it be, yeah, would you be interacting with the actual, I don't know, like, could you go kill Hitler, right? Is that, that sort of the... So, that's a good question. Uh, so, yes, but I actually think I would lean away from, like, you, the PC, are a big mover and shaker behind, like, every major event in history. What I would be more interested in doing is just saying, how does being in this time period in this place... How does that affect and hinder or help your long, uh, long-running goal? Yeah. You know, how does how do you living in this particular you know crisis point in history? How does that? What effect does that have on your kind of your generational quest? So maybe that would involve the occasional thing like you kill Hitler, but the more wacky you get with that sort of stuff, the the less you can kind of enjoy uh exploring an actual historical setting yeah so i think that would i think it would be fun to go to be to go crazy and let the players kill hitler and and all that other stuff but uh, but i think i would aim a little bit lower scale than that and i would probably run i would probably want to use a game system that was not like your big world changing hero but more of like a you're you're working quietly towards your goal uh, in this, yeah, does that make that's, sense? Yeah, that's fascinating. That's it's a really cool idea. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I guess yeah, like what? Um, I mean, you'd have to have the right player, like like you said, you have to have the right players, and you'd have to have a, a pretty firm commitment from from them to want to explore that. Yeah, yeah. Would you try to set what that that goal or agenda is, or would that be something that the players would? I I think it would just need to be something that the players came up with to mm-hmm. have uh, enough to be compelling enough to uh, keep them interested throughout a big campaign like this. Yeah. Uh, so, and it would depend, you know, if it was, if we were playing Ars Magica, they'd be wizards. So maybe they're, maybe they're researching, you know, the, the secret of life or the philosopher's stone or, you know, something like that. Or, um, you know, there's, I've thought about doing this in other settings as well that aren't uh, real world history, but other settings that have histories that have been pretty exhaustively enough detailed that you could, run games throughout their history mm-hmm. so like this might sound like it's a little bit out of the blue but like the battle tech setting oh. uh would lend itself well to sort of like a dynast a dynastic game because that the history of that setting is extremely uh well <laughs> well described and there are other settings you know too that just have a weight of history that's built up around them that's interesting and, um, i don't know you could do it in a lot of different contexts what's intimidating about it is you know the commitment required and then just the versatility it would require from the gm to <laughs> yeah to keep You'd be playing a lot keep of things NPCs. moving <laughs> yeah i mean one one month you might be doing adventures set in china and the next you're 
they're uh, over in Prague and you know there'd just be a lot of uh, a lot of work you'd have to do as a GM. I've uh, I've really been babbling about this idea though. But I don't want to monopolize it. No, this is this is great. I think because um, this is like really getting at the heart of why this question is great. Because it's like those things that yeah, you're checking out about are just like things that you're you're really holding on to internally that you're like this would be so cool. How would I pull it off? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like the thing that that scares me oddly is running a like a fully homebrew game. Which is mm. which is odd because like I do a fair amount of homebrew stuff, but it's mostly shorter things. But I, I think I have this like this the sense inside me that it'd be really great to tell this like this huge yeah like kind of a, a campaign long homebrew adventure that we could come up with with together. And maybe I just missed the boat on this. Like this is it seems like the ideal thing to do in high school. But there's <laughs> there's something about it that um, I really want to do. Um, but the the I guess the twist, if you will, is I'd want it to be a lot more collaborative than I think a lot of D and D style games end up getting presented. So similar to what you were saying mm-hmm. with the the players coming and bringing bringing sort of their own goal and coming up with that goal, um, I really want to sit down and like yeah do a big map making exercise, like come up with the whole thing, you know, zoom into specific a specific place and have an adventure, an adventure in that place, and then maybe an adventure in another place, and, and just have this this shared world that we that we come up with together. The thing that always stops me is like, is trying to find the right people to do it because I'd want it to be somewhat serious rather than, than jokey. Um, like we've talked a lot, you know, about, um, the default of, of D and D and stuff being sort of slapsticky and stuff. Like I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd want to play it pretty straight with some humor and stuff, but like, yeah, taking it seriously that to me feels like a much bigger ask to players to say like, Hey, do you want to tell the story together? Like, do you want to like really dive into this? Um, rather than being like, well, I'm going to run whatever Horde of the dragon queen and we can, we can just play through that. Yeah. yeah so I, I, when every time, every time I think about it, I'm like, Oh, I'll just do something else <laughs> rather than this, <laughs> this game that I actually want to yeah. play. Yeah. So is the type of like, when you say homebrewed, do you mean everything homebrewed? Uh, you, you don't mean, like run your own campaign in the Forgotten Realms. You mean, you know, a setting you you put together with the players and a story that you mm-hmm. come up with and put together with the players. You know, yeah. just something all new. Even rules? Would you? Maybe, I would have to look around. But maybe, maybe our own rules too. Yeah, like I don't know. Like maybe it's just egotistical, but it it seems like it'd be really fun to have that as an experience that had happened to me. Um, yeah. Like an experience that we had together. If it was like, Hey, this one time back in 2021, we got together once a month and we came up with this huge sweeping story. We came up with our own rules. We played this really cool game and like, you'll never be able to capture that again for whatever reason. Like something about that, just going through that unique experience is really captivating to me. Again, I don't know if it'll ever happen, (laughs) but yeah. So what what prevents you from? Uh, so you touched on a few things, but so mm-hmm. what what kind of prevents you from pitching this to your friends or deciding yourself that you're going to run it? Is it is it just nervousness that about being able to pull it all together? Is it? Uh... Yeah, I think it's just like, what if it doesn't work, or what if what if I'm the only one who ends up being enthusiastic about it? 
right? Like, I, and I think you, you'd probably agree with me about the, the campaign that you're, you were talking about too. It's just like, yeah, like what if, what if you're the only cheerleader of it and you're six months mm. in and you're trying to get yep. everybody together and like, you're very into this thing and no one else is. Yep. And that's, that's a somewhat scary thought that sort of makes you want to stop. Like, whereas if you're going to run, yeah, run a published adventure, like if I'm going to run Candlekeep Mysteries, I know that each of those little one shots is going to be pretty fun. I also won't have to do a ton of prep. <laughs> like, you know, there, there's all sorts of like niceties that go along with that. Yeah. Whereas doing the like, Hey, come, we're going to tell a big story together. And it's going to be a little bit, maybe it, you might have to do some harder work to, to make it happen than you would normally. Um, but I think it'll be rewarding. Like that's a cool pitch, but it's also like, uh, is that enough to sustain something for longer than a couple sessions? Um, yep. If it's not, if it's not connecting with people. Yeah. When you run something pre-published, you know, the, by coming to the table to play Dungeons & Dragons or uh, The One Ring or Traveler or something, people are signaling to you that they've already bought into, like, you know, two-thirds of what, two-thirds of what we're going to play, right? And yeah. you bring your unique story and GMing to the table, but you have the, that confidence that the players have already signaled that they're up for this kind of story that this kind of game tells. Mm-hmm. So I can see how that would be kind of an intimidating like uh john Corey's mentioned before that i think he heard someone else say it about um like when you're playing tabletop games you're really you're really just trying to play inside of a genre that you that you like yeah so i think it is easier to say we're gonna play D, you know like you you know what that is on some level like great yep. like let's let's go do it yeah your setting your you know your adventure will be unique but it's going to be operating within parameters that everybody kind mm-hmm. of is is implicitly agreeing to live with yeah and like maybe that's maybe that's answer is like ditch ditch some of the that reach for like oh we're gonna come up with our brand new rule set too and say like no we're gonna play this rule set but then we're going to this will be the twist the twist on it and then maybe at the end of that if if we feel like it wasn't doing what we wanted then then we can add in the new rule set that we feel like we'll do do what we want from there this is just making me think like there there's no published adventure that I'm like, Oh, I have to run that, but I can't, I can't do it for whatever reason. Mm. Um, yeah. Like, I don't think there's anything I'm chickening out on. It's there's stuff that I'd want to run, but it's just whatever, for whatever reason, it's not making it to the top, top of the list. Do you have anything that's like a published adventure that you've been sitting on? Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, so I've got other specific campaigns that I'm intrigued by and would kind of like to run, but, have never had the guts to do it. Pendragon is one of them that came up actually in the discussion uh, this week in our little Discord community. But um, so Pendragon, that one's intimidating to me, just because I would feel like I would have to have such a encyclopedic mastery of Arthurian, <laughs> uh, you know, mythology. There's a, it's a, you know, there's a lot to Arthurian <laughs> mythology. Yeah. You- you like you like Arthurian mythology, like name all the knights of the round table. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I mean that sort of stuff times ten when you want to get into all the side characters. Uh, so that's like a famous, that's a famous game with a a published campaign that will often show up in pe- you know a list of top five campaigns ever. The Great Pendragon Campaign. Uh, you know, it walks you through the entire Arthur saga, but whew, that uh, that lot. that. Sounds like a lot. So um, there's, let's see, other published campaigns. There's a uh, there's a Call of Cthulhu campaign called, uh, I think it's called Beyond the Mountains of Madness. 
it's either at I think it's beyond the mountains of madness yeah and it's uh, it's this ludicrously epic journey to Antarctica and it's uh it's just a game that would require it it's really meticulous I mean it really tries to uh really tries to accurately depict what it would take and what it would be like to organize and then carry out an expedition to Antarctica but a game like that has it would if something were to go wrong partway through the campaign like all the PCs died or something went horribly wrong it it would be very very hard to recover the campaign and keep it moving right okay <laughs> when they're when they're in Antarctica and they're trudging across the ice and some you know some bad die rolls or bad decisions happen and everybody dies what do you do <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. you know it's not in D&D you can introduce you can find ways to bring in new adventurers or or whatever it, even if you were running Call of Cthulhu, you know, in a a more accessible setting, like, you know, just the continental U.S. It's not, you know, mm-hmm. you can find ways to keep the story going. But what do you do when that happens in Antarctica? I don't know. There's, there's only so many science outposts. I, I, I eye this book on my shelf and then I worry about this thing that I'm describing right now. This just, what would, how, how would I keep this going without resorting to like the worst kind of uh, GMing like interference mm-hmm. you know to keep the pcs alive or to you know what i mean i don't without having to to just really make a mockery of like this being a game of chance and player yeah initiative yeah that would be hard i was just thinking from the player side if i was playing in that and we got wiped in antarctica and it unless it was something dumb we had done like it would just be like oh come on yeah <laughs> like yeah if it was just on die, die rolls or something like that um, yeah yeah but i mean and then at the same time you don't want to be like okay like make sure that you are all sending letters back home yeah, yeah. To, to hq so they can come out and save you later right you know yeah one of those things I mean, you could always pick it up back like 50 years later you know there's been rumors of this expedition but then yeah I'd, i'm with you that's that's a tough one yeah, like th- thinking, zooming out from that specific one, just thinking about like published campaigns or any campaign where the story by its very nature, like really locks you into one course, you know, I start to get real nervous as a GM because I you I just start to worry about how much like railroading I'm gonna ha- I would have to do to keep things moving um, if the scope of the adventure is not such that it can like survive the pcs like going way off the rails you know um if i'm running like a whatever a game somewhere in a D setting like the forgotten realms or something you know there's a lot of ways to that world is big enough and wide enough you know there's a lot of ways to accommodate pcs going like way off script hmm. but you know this the same would be true about like if you were doing a uh a game where the PCs are like deep space explorers on a, you know, deep space mission to the sun or something like that. You know, um, how would you accommodate like the craziness that happens in an RPG without, without blowing up the, like the story. If they're, (laughs) if they're like out in the middle of deep space and they go way off script. Yeah. It's tough. I mean, partly it's like players are going to do it if they want to, but, They also, I mean, yeah, they also won't, but they probably will. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's tough. 
I don't know. Like, have you, I don't know if I've ever encountered this. Well, I've never encountered an entire party doing this where they just decide to do something entirely different, you know, or yeah, completely go off book and like no amount of cajoling kind of gets them back, back on or gets the idea across that like, Hey, you know, this is where the adventure is. (laughs) Yeah. And I, I mean, I wonder if you could just handle that with a disclaimer up front and it's like, we're we're going to play this deadly adventure down to Antarctica and like you, you might not make it out, you know, unless you're, yeah, <laughs> unless you're being smart about it. Yeah. But then, maybe. I mean, then it, it creates different stakes and then maybe they're too cautious and it's less, less interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't doubt it's doable and people have run all of these mm-hmm. uh, yeah. campaigns, but yeah, I, certainly the solution would be like a careful discussion with the players about what we're getting into. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, <laughs> so it could be done. There's, I suppose there's others. I mean, I could just go on probably forever here about campaigns I've never run. So here's, here's a, here's a kind of adventure that like every GM wants to run that, that I've rarely really run and I am made nervous by. And that is like a true traditional, like mega dungeon where the entirety of the campaign is exploring one dungeon environment. Yeah. Um, I've done that in little bits and pieces, but uh, those have always been cases where I really wanted to to run a full-blown Mega Dungeon campaign, but I just, I couldn't make it work, or I kind of chickened out, and so I scaled the the Mega Dungeon down, I guess. Um, yeah. yeah, I would, I would like to run one of those too at some point. It's, yeah, again, it's not like, like I'm not chickening out on it, although maybe I am. So Kyle, you're right, whatever, but it's like, um, yeah, like it's, it's more just like, I don't know if it's interesting after a session, right. To just like still be in the same mega dungeon and like people have fun with these and like enjoy them. And like, there's, there's ones that are, you know, famous and stuff for a reason. Um, but it's just like, yeah, I don't know if that's the style of game that I want to play necessarily for a long time. Like conceptually, it sounds awesome right like you're you go into a huge dungeon i'd play the heck out of that video game like i'm gonna play diablo the, the diablo games yeah left and right and that's essentially what they are but it's uh yeah there's just something about like playing a tabletop game in that setting that i don't know i think i'd have to think very carefully about about the pacing of it to make it interesting and there would probably have to end up being cities or other people that they run into yeah down there otherwise it's just like i don't know what, what the point is if you're just if you're just going around and, and killing bats and stuff and <laughs> levels yeah. one through five <laughs> yeah i think you know and i think the good mega dungeons out there do have that you know they have factions and cities and settlements and stuff mm-hmm. tucked throughout but uh still that's a long that's a lot of time to spend in one place the closest i ever got to doing this was i ran a lot of uh, a kind of a published mega dungeon called the Emerald. I think it was called the Emerald Spire. It's published for first edition of Pathfinder. And I got bored like four levels of the dungeon in as the GM, (laughs) despite it being a well done dungeon with lots of variety. It was just something about the fact that we were just in the same place it, I just got antsy and ready to, to move on, even mm-hmm. though there was lots of interesting, new, varied stuff in that location that they players could continue to find basically for as long as it's a big dungeon. I mean, it could have run it forever. But yeah, I don't know. I got bored and we transitioned to something else at my 
at my prompting because I don't know. Hmm. I must have been doing something wrong. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It's just yeah, it's maybe that just it wasn't the right game for the group or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, like the like the mega dungeon or like the like buy the book advanced D&D game. Like there's you know some of those things that I think like we all we all want to run like just like we're going to use every single rule style, style game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um and I think that's a, something only GMs want to do, right? Like there's just something wrong wrong with our brains where it's like <laughs> that sounds like a good time. Um, but at the same time, I think we all recognize that like it's only fun for that's not what you want to play forever. Like you just want to play it for a short short amount of time and then move on to your next thing. Just get it out of your system. I don't know. Like this conversation, we should we should wrap up. Like is making me wonder. Like like why not just try it and see? Because like like I mean, you just said you played a game for four sessions and it wasn't going well, so you transitioned to something else. Yeah, and I would imagine you still talk to all those players. Oh, I don't yeah. know. Maybe they cut you out of their lives after that. <laughs> no. No. Yeah, like people can roll with it. Like, there's I've been to board game nights where you just play a board game. You're like, this is terrible. I never want to play that again. It's not like you're not friends or you don't want to play board games ever again. You just don't want to play that one. Uh, part of it, you know, there. Part of it is. Uh, part of it is there's an appeal to these campaigns that I suspect I'll never run. Like, I'll never botch this campaign you know i'll never screw this up it'll never wind out up it'll never turn out to be kind of a disappointing or like lackluster game because i'll never run it it will just (laughs) it will just be in my mind and i'll where i think about how cool it would be to actually pull this all together but (laughs) as you're sitting there painting miniatures for the (laughs) for the dungeon you'll never run (laughs) (laughs) yes so yeah i mean but talking about it is it does make me think you know why not what what is truly keeping me from doing these things and and what you know what's kind of interesting that we've touched on we've circled around here a little bit you know what what makes you shy away from running something you know is it and there's a for each of us it's going to be something different you know for i've described some of the campaigns i'm interested in running and the things that make me shy away are like kind of fear of keeping it you know fear of it flaming out partway through something you invest huge amounts of time in mm-hmm. um, fear of not, you know, being able to keep up with the GM work required to make it all pay off. You know, I don't know. Is there anything we haven't talked about that, that, um, you know, you're looking at something it's in the store or you're thinking mulling it over in your mind, but you know, what are the things that make you go, oh, that would be really cool, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to pitch that. Mm. Yeah, it's to me. It always comes down to the players. It's like if I'm thinking through something and like I don't, I don't know who's going to say yes. It's harder to to get into it. Um, yeah, and that's often how I end up doing games is finding the people, like getting an idea, finding the people who are interested in the idea, and then putting it together from there. Whereas I think some of these these heartbreaker campaigns that we're talking about are very much like a, we have the idea we're like ready to go. We just need to find, <laughs> find yeah. the people. So you're almost, you're, you're doing it in reverse of what I think, uh, what we've seen typically work well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is the, like you're, you're prepping before you know who's going to play and that's where you can end up over prepping or coming up with a game that ends up not being, not being fun. Yeah. But, the problem is the things that we want to run are very specific. Yeah. <laughs> you need to you need to prep them because that's like what you're thinking about all the time. Yeah, you um, know, I think 
I, th I think we, I bet we both agree, you know, that a group of players who were super into it would easily overcome all of the, oh, yeah. like those concerns we've just nailed. So yeah, it is, a, you know, so how do you go from like this idea is, you you know, that appeals really strongly just to me, you know, how do I find that group of players that will share my level of enthusiasm for it and, and get us through all of those possible obstacles? You know, that's, well, I don't know. I don't have an answer for it, but uh, yeah. yeah. Like I think if either either of our big big grand ideas, if like four people messaged us right after this this episode <laughs> dropped like an hour later and were like, I wanna play <laughs> your yeah. your intergenerational game. Like I wanna play and you're like you're wacky, like let's build a giant map and tell a homebrew story. Like if, if <laughs> right. that happened, like yeah, like you drop everything, you'd be like, Sorry, Band of Blades, we're done. We're you know, like, <laughs> yeah. I've gotta <laughs> I'm running the real game now. Yeah. I'd pick up my uh my unused band of blades map and a single tear would roll down my yeah. cheek and I'd You'd set flip it, down. it over and start drawing a new map. That's right. Okay. Well, we should, uh, we should wrap up because we've been uh, chattering on for quite a while. Um, um, yeah. So I will just say that the, the real answer to this question is a week long LARP. But... <laughs> wait, wait, do you want to run a LARP and you're checking out? We, this is <laughs> yeah, this is something we should have delved into right away because yeah. no there uh actually yeah no actually i think that i probably am chickening out because like when i think about it it just seems entirely too embarrassing to do yeah. <laughs> so there you go yeah uh yeah okay and as we close the episode i guess we're, so uh vampire larping i'll never do it but mm -hmm. like 10 percent of me would think imagines that'd be pretty awesome but i'll never <laughs> i'll never do it yeah, 10% of you has a file out and you're going at your teeth right now yes. to get them nice and sharp. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. well, um, all right, good discussion. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was fun to kind of uh, kind of air some of those uh, those ideas. I would be interested, you know, just to check back on this in the months to come to see if mm -hmm. either of us has gotten any closer to running one of these sort of yeah uh, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll do campaigns. this this topic again in a year and see if we say the exact same thing <laughs> yeah. So, yeah all right yeah well i think this is as good a time as any um but yeah thank you all so much for listening we again always super appreciate it if you have any feedback you can let us know in whatever way makes sense to you um but yeah thank you uh, i've been chris salzman i've been andy Rao. remember if your players are having fun you're a great gm